Hello, and welcome to episode 23 of Our Weekends Booked. I'm Brielle. And I'm Kate. And this week, we discuss the Caraval series, written by Stephanie Garber. Now, I had a hard time finding information about Stephanie Garber, even though she's such a popular author. But the stuff that I did find was that she's a New York Times and international bestseller. Um, Her books have been translated into over 30 languages, and... This series was published by Flatiron Books Publishing. Is that correct? Yes. And they were released one year after the other. And the, that Caraval, the first book in the series, is actually her debut novel, which I did not know until I was looking up information. And we also found out that Caraval, the just the original, was um, optioned by 20th Century Fox. So hopefully in the future, we'll get to see her book brought to life on film. Which I think would be awesome. Yeah, I think that this series, okay, so you have Caraval, Legendary, and Finale. Those are the three in this series. I think that it would be one of those situations where it would be better to watch it than to actually read it. Well, this is the first series we've read in a little bit where You didn't care for it too much, and I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Okay, I I don't want to say that I didn't care for it too much. Like, I I don't want to say that. I I think that I went into it expecting something that didn't pan out, and it kind of, like, turned me off. But, I mean, it has nothing to do with, like, Stephanie Garber's writing or anything, because, I mean, she is, if nothing else, that woman is super detailed. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, the thing about these books, and you're right, it was a little bit different than what I think we were expecting. And a little bit, it kind of gave me Night Circus vibes at the beginning, just the allure of the magic that was going on, but it took you forever to kind of really find out what was happening. It kind of felt like, and I think I mentioned this to you last night when we were talking about this, It kind of felt like you were in a giant escape room with magic through the whole series. No, that is like the perfect way to describe it. And we also talked about this, like, I didn't feel like there was really like any world building, which is new for us because most of the things that we read obviously are fantasy and they obviously have like very detailed world building in them. And this didn't have that in my opinion. Now you say that it did, but like for me, it didn't. I just felt like we're used to the world building, right, of a normal fantasy where they're talking about the mountains and the landscape and the castles and all that kind of stuff. I feel like this book had its own world building, but you were, like, immersed in it because you were inside of it the whole time. It wasn't like you were looking at it from, you know, having to travel from north to south and all this other stuff like we're used to. No, I can, yeah, I can definitely, like, understand what, like, how you're describing it. I guess, like, I am just used to, for example, the main characters are from, like, a very small island called Tisdale, correct? Trisdale, yeah. And that's really all you know about it is that it's, like, bordered by the ocean, and it smells like fish, and that's all we get. Yeah, but they're also only there for a short period of time. Yeah, I mean, I I get it, but I just, I think it's just because my mindset is 
so used to like reading one way and then like this wasn't like that but yeah, yeah I don't want to like say that I just absolutely hated the series because I didn't I finished them I mean the first book I read in a day so I mean I obviously enjoyed it somewhat yeah I mean we read the all three of these books within five days I think we read them pretty quickly yeah I think you finished a little bit before me but yeah it wasn't like it was like for three books, it wasn't stretched out, like, over, like, a month period or anything like that. Like, it was definitely less than two weeks, probably, like, ten days tops. I will say, though, I I see your point because I will say, I think it was maybe the second book for me that, the third book I loved. The second book for me, I felt like the first 150 pages was super hard to get through. I don't know why. It just felt like it dragged. Okay, and I think that that has something to do with our first main character. Her name is Scarlet. And Scarlet really got on my nerves at some points. Mm-hmm. Which, <laughs> she was, I don't want to say whiny, but like. No, that's the word, whiny. Whiny, okay, so like she was whiny. She was one of those characters that we're so used to like those strong feminine characters. And she was like the opposite, right? Like she was, like, kind of scared at all times. This is how she started, anyway. Like, scared at all times. And, you know, she always wanted to, like, t- you know, stick between the lines and, you know, not not stray, not get herself in trouble. And when somebody would, like, tell her to do something in the book, she'd be like, I'm not going to do that. And it was just annoying. She was overly cautious, and it was a bit irritating at times. That's absolutely perfect, yes. That's a perfect description. Her her character kind of gave me the same type of vibes that I got from Feyre in Akatar, Like, kind of annoying towards the beginning, but by the end, you kind of love her. Yeah, agreed. But I feel like Scarlet was that way because their father, who's another one of our characters, Lord Dragna, was a tyrant. And anytime either her or her sister, like, stepped out of line, he would punish the other one instead of punishing them so they had to like watch each other get tortured basically yeah that was crazy and scarlet's younger sister is the sister that we're talking about her name is tella and tella was almost like the complete opposite of scarlet right i mean she was when the books first start she's like what 16 at the time i think 15, so 15 or 16 and i mean she's like kissing boys in warehouses and you know, staying out past curfew and tricking the father. So she's, like, a complete, like, troublemaker. And I'm guessing... She's a free spirit. She's not a troublemaker. She's a free spirit. <laughs> okay, a free spirit. Okay. She, she was she was a little hellion. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have a mom either, which didn't help the situation. Well, yeah, so their mom, who is another one of our characters, her name's Paloma. We find out later she goes by a different name, Paradise the Lost. But she just basically disappears when they're kids and leaves them with this horrible father. And they don't know why. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like the plot of the second book. Yeah, I can see that. Like being Because the second book is where they really talk about the mom and how she's kind of intertwined with everything else that's going on. Yeah, so I think this is going to be a lot for the listeners um, because we're going to kind of want to like jump around. Um, But overall plot, I guess you would say, 
of these books is that there is a game being played. And you need an invitation to the game. And Scarlet gets the invitation to the game. After many, many years of writing to, we'll call him like the ringmaster, right? Um, to invite her to the game. She finally gets the invitation. And the first thing that she's told is that you can't believe everything that you see that happens during this game. It's a pretty cryptic invitation. But I, I want to back up for just a second because we skipped a part that's going to include one of our main characters. Okay. So before she gets there, so her, we tell you guys about like her and her sister and her sister's always like kissing boys and doing all this stuff to get them in trouble. So at the beginning of book one, she catches her, Scarlet catches Tella kissing this boy named Julian. And the father catches them, all this craziness happens. And then Tella decides she's leaving with Julian because he's a sailor and she's leaving on this boat and she's never coming back. And she wants Scarlet to come with her. Like, let's go to Caraval. We finally got the tickets and all this stuff. But Scarlet is promised to be married in like 10 days. So her cautious little mousy self is like, no, I don't want to go. It's going to ruin my life. I don't want to go. But needless to say, she ends up going. So Julian actually takes them to Caraval. And then everything kind of transpires from there. Yeah. And Caraval is like an island in itself. So I guess that's where you were kind of saying about the world building. Like, on Caraval, yeah, we do get, like, tons and tons of descriptions. So, okay, I digress. Then there is some world building in, in these books. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but but I will say, okay, so we when, when you said, remember, Scarlet had written him letters for years and years and years, right? In those letters, she's asking him to come to where they live in Trisda and remember they're kind of like a traveling circus type thing. They go all over the place. So technically you're right. They weren't on that Island until the very end because the um, ringleader who his name is actually legend is what they call him in the book. Someone dies during one of the games, remember? And so he's, he's decided he's not leaving that Island anymore. Yeah. So, so he, he, he holds his games there. Yeah. So technically you're right. I mean, it wasn't really, an actual world at the beginning because they were traveling around, but we got there eventually. Yeah. And I think once we get there, um, that's when, that's when that, you know, you, you have to take everything. You can't, seeing is not always believing. I think that's the best way to put it, right? Um, when things happen, you know, you're going to feel one way, but you have to remember, like, this is only a game. And for Scarlet, especially in the first book, she didn't always remember that. And she let herself get swept up in this game and, like, risked her life for different characters because she was thinking that this was all reality. Well, and, I mean, I don't blame her because in book one, when they play the first game... Her sister has been taken, and so she has to find her sister in order to win the game. So, you know, if I was her, I'm basically thinking about my sister's safety, so I'm willing to do anything at that point because you think this guy's going to kill her because no one says anything nice about this legend guy. 
Like, he plays tricks on people. He lies. He uses magic to hurt people. He's the villain, basically. Or they're trying to portray him as so. Yes. When Julian takes them to Caraval, remember Scarlet wakes up. Somehow she was, like, out of it. She wakes up. Tell is gone. And it's just her and Julian. And so they're in a little boat, remember? And Julian, like, she's about to knock this boat over. And he's telling her to, like, calm down. That Tell is on the island waiting for her. And all this stuff. And so he kind of is like her companion throughout the whole first games. Yeah, and that's what I was talking about earlier when she was like annoying. Because here's Julian. Now, at first we think he's just a sailor. Then, as I was reading, I I kind of got the feeling that he had more to do with this game than, you know, met the eye. He's trying to tell her. And without, like, using the exact words, listen to me, I know how to play the game. You know, he's like, just just hang on, calm down, tell us fine. And Scarlet is like panicking, freaking out, not listening to him, rushing into things, making poor decisions. That was one of my my biggest things with her. Like she was my favorite character in the first book, but she was also my least favorite character in the first book. My favorite character in the first book was surprisingly was actually Julian. I did really like Julian. <laughs> I think we talked about this, and in my mind, he was, if if anybody has watched Bridgerton, he was, like, the Duke. Um, his name in real life is, like, Regé Jean Page. That's what Julian looked like to me. That's, that's what I had in my mind the whole time. He just strikes me as somebody that was, like, a little mischievous, but, you know, handsome and charming at the same time. No, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. He, like, kind of had some mystery behind him. But then, like, as you read, you kind of wonder, like, how does he know so much about this game? Um, and there was, there was, like, a common thing that, that you find out, like, in the end of the first book. And that's that, like, anybody who is part of the game, their lips were you know, quote-unquote, binded by magic, and they couldn't speak the truth about what was going on. Which, I love aspects of, of magic books like that. Sometimes they get on my nerves. Like, if they're like, oh, there's a secret, and we can't tell it. But in this book, I kind of liked it, because it, it kind of built the suspense a little bit for book two, when we find out who Legend really is. Yeah, and because they never, like, came out and said, like, oh, I can't tell you this. It was just, like, something was implied that, you know, you just didn't get, like, the whole truth. But I think that was, like, part of the game was trying to, like, figure out, you know, put all the pieces together. It was, like, kind of like a murder mystery game, you know, like, if you've ever, we have played one of those, actually. But, um, you know, if you've ever played one of those, then you have to, like, put together all the pieces to come to your conclusion. That's exactly what Caraval was. Yeah, I can agree. I can see it like that. And, you know, book one, I think, was not my favorite in the series, to be honest, um, because I did feel like Scarlet was kind of annoying and that there was a lot of parts that could have probably been left out. No, I agree with that. Yeah. But once you put the whole series together, I guess it ha- all of it had to be in there to kind of segue into the second book and then the third book. And the second book was legendary. And 
I think this might have been my favorite, probably because um, there was something introduced. It was called the Deck of Destiny. And it, that, that Deck of Destiny was basically like modern day tarot cards. So I'm into that kind of stuff. So that was like really interesting for me. And that's kind of where Paloma comes back into play through that deck of destiny because she's actually on one of the cards. Her name is Paradise the Lost. Yeah, and it's so sad. It was like almost a little bit heartbreaking when Tella finds this out that their mom didn't really leave them because she wanted to, but because she had to, she was in a way trying to protect them. But at the same time, she hated her because... When this deck of destiny that Brielle is talking about had something to do with the fates. And their mother, to secure the deck from being getting into someone else's hands, has to put it in, like, this ancient vault or whatever. And you have to pay a price for magic. So they told her she'd have to give up one of her daughters. And she Tella finds out that she was going to give her up. So she hates her, but she loves her. So it's kind of like... Two sides of a coin that she couldn't escape. Yes, all magic comes with a price. <laughs> Which is like in every fantasy book, right? Like you never are getting magic for free. I'm. Uh, we talked about this. I'm watching, rewatching um, Once Upon a Time. It was like a show that was on ABC, and Rumpelstiltskin is in the show, and he says, "All magic comes with a price, dearie." That's what he says every episode. So, like, that was kind of cool because they actually say those words in this book. Yeah, I like that. And the the price for the magic in these books was crazy. Like, you're paying with your blood, you're paying with days of your life, you're playing with your sleep. Like, I mean, it was like things that could kill you. Yeah the the days of your life that was crazy because when you first read it, you think, okay. Scarlet is the one that pays for it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you think, okay, it's just going to knock, like, three days off of the end of her life. So if she's, you know, three days shy of her 80th birthday, then she's going to die when she's 79. But, like, they took it immediately. Yeah, they were and, like, no, it's going to be now, my love. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And I think that that's kind of where that high fantasy comes in because, you know... Over and over again, it's reiterated that this is just a game. There's nothing real here. But, like, how can it not be? Yeah, it's, and that's the thing is, like, that's why I said at the beginning, it's kind of like an escape room with magic because you're stuck in this world and you can't get out. And the price is so high for, like, you know, when you're in an escape room and you get different keys for different clue boxes and things like that. It's like, Every key was such a high price. It's like, do I really need to pay this? Or am I just going to stay trapped in here forever? Yeah. I think in book two, Tella really comes into her own. So where book one was like a lot about Scarlet, book two is definitely more about Tella. Tella, we see go from like that little hellion to, she really comes into her, her character, right? She's, she grows stronger. She knows what she wants. She's not afraid to go after it. And she is involved in trying to, like, uncover this mystery of her mother so that she can not only, like, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Not only, like, 
put peace in her own heart, but like give it to her sister as well. Because obviously, if you've been listening, you know that if Tella is in this book, Scarlet obviously won the first game. Yeah, which in the second book, there's a lot more relationship development between a lot of our characters. You see, like, Scarlet and Julian kind of start to fall in love. And Tella finds love herself. And it's not who I was expecting at all. I don't know if we want to say too much about that. Because we kind of give away, like, a huge plot twist if we do. (laughs) So I guess I'll just leave it at that. She falls in love. (laughs) (laughs) Well... And not only does she fall in love, um, I guess it was kind of like a forbidden love, but she also makes a deal with somebody who is pretty much equivalent to the devil at this point. Yeah, pretty much, I would have to say. You know, we left out somebody in the first book. I don't mean to backtrack, but it's kind of important. Um, So we said Scarlet was supposed to be married in 10 days. And in the first book... The guy's name is Count Nicholas D.R.C. And in the first book, Legend actually has actors that play him and deceive her because her father ends up finding them on the Caraval Island and comes to, like, take them back. So in book two, we kind of find out that that wasn't the real Count Nicholas D.R.C. And his story is so tragic. Oh, yeah. Anyway. He he doesn't... I think he's in book three as well, right? Yeah, he's in book two and three. Yeah. I guess he's in all three books, but the real him is in book two and three. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he, he is an important character, but the character that I was referring to is um, the Prince of Hearts, and he goes by Jax in this book. And he is, he is not nice. He is not a nice person. Or or fate, I guess you could say. Because he's definitely not a person. No, he's the fate. And his power is, like, crazy. Like, if he kisses you, you basically die unless you're the one that is his one true love. Yeah. So and it's a slow, agonizing death. It's not like a quick kiss on the lips, you're dead. No. Yeah. So, of course, you know, Tella, who likes to tempt fate, decides that she is going to, like... I guess, like, team up with him to try to find her mom, and she gets herself into a whole bunch of trouble. You know, I will say, though, I know he was a villain, but I loved his character. Jax? Yes. No, I did. I liked him, too. Like, I know he was supposed to be, like, this bad guy, but, you know, I felt like he was only a, a villain because of circumstance. Because he did do a lot of things to help at the same time. I mean, it was for selfish reasons, but he still helped. Yeah, and he was, you know, under that, like, magical binding as well. Because he couldn't just come out and tell tell Tella, like, how to find her mom. Or how to, you know, her mom was, like, actually imprisoned. Um, how to free her. Or, like, who did it or anything like that. Like... He kind of had to, like, give her clues, like, leave little breadcrumbs for her so that she could kind of follow it. And at the same time, like, you could tell that he was actually, like, falling in love with her. 
spicy. So you have like a triangle at that point because you have Jax and Tella and I mean, can we just tell them? No. Okay. Well, there's a third. <laughs> <laughs> it's a triangle, but there's only two. <laughs> no, there's three. It's the mystery. I just I feel like if we tell it, it's gonna give too much away. And it's kind of uh, a big plot twist. Well, I feel like it's not gonna give anything away because we haven't even mentioned Dante yet. Well, now you just did. Yeah. But but I didn't tell the other part. That's true. That's true. Okay. So there is um there is a love triangle between Tella, Dante, and Jax. And like Dante's kind of seedy too. Like he is not, you know, he's not like your your Prince Charming or anything. Like he was in book one and he was kind of described as like being like dark and mysterious as well. Um, tattoos, you know, things like that. Of course, like Tella sees that and she's like, oh, bad boy, that's for me. Um, and then in this book, like it's this the same type of thing and the same thing with, with like what's going on with Jax. Like he doesn't like come out and help her just because, you know, he likes her. He does it because it benefits him in some way. Well, and he... He's constantly pushing her away. Like, mixed signals out the wazoo with this guy. Yeah, I agree with that, too. That is true. So. I mean, and then you have book three, which basically revolves around the fates, I feel like, for the most part. And, like, them trying to defeat the fates and save their mother. And I, I, this book was probably my favorite and I think because it was a dual perspective of Scarlet and Tella. So the story just seemed like it was more fast paced for me. Yeah, I can agree with that too. You know, we, we've talked about this before, but we're big fans of like that dual perspective. And um, I, th I don't like, I think you're right. Like it just makes it go by faster. I think because the story like switches, you know, like from what Scarlet's doing to what Tella's doing, why they're doing it who they're, like, associated with, like, in doing it. So it does make for, like, a better read. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I really loved that final book. And it, it seemed like by the end of it, everyone kind of got their happy ending, but not really at the same time. And I felt like it kind of was still left open for there to potentially be another book. Oh, I think it did end up on, like, a cliffhanger. I mean, the very last page, you know, it's without giving too much away, it's between two characters and it's like completely open as to, you know, it's a letter. Tella's writing a letter to someone and, you know, if that person answers the letter in one way, then we could have a whole nother book. But I'm wondering, like, if it was left that way, because, you know, the other books that we have to read, like Once Upon a Broken Heart, from what I've read... They're kind of intertwined with the Caraval series, so I wonder if it'll kind of segue into that, or, you know, those characters will be in those books somehow. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, and you keep saying, like, I don't like the book, and that's not true, because I am... <laughs> I only said it once. <laughs> I am, like, interested in in reading that series to see if we do circle back to, like, Scarlet and Tella, or if we just kind of if it's just in that world, like that Caraval world or the island of Caraval, I guess. 
Yeah, and I mean, I I enjoyed the world, like I said earlier. Um, I would definitely recommend this series to anybody that likes fantasy. Um, there were parts that were good, and there were parts that were bad. I, I did feel like, like I said earlier, there was a lot of stuff, I think, in the first two books that could have maybe been taken out and shortened the length of the book. But I felt like Stephanie Garber's writing is super descriptive, so you kind of are, like, immersed inside of the Caraval world. Okay, let me let me give you an example of super descriptive for one second. Okay. <laughs> in in Legendary, she writes candied butterfly wings, sugared spider webs, and drunken peaches. I shit you not, those were words that were describing something. And like that is how she writes. And as crazy as that sounds. When she writes it and, like, flows it all together, it makes perfect sense. Oh, yeah. I remember when you sent me that Snapchat where you were like, look at this. <laughs> and I was like, I haven't gotten to that part yet. So I was like, what is she talking about? But then when I read the whole sentence, I was like, oh, wow, that's a beautiful way to describe that, right? Yeah. So, yes. You know, but, but that's the thing. Is there a line where it's almost, like, too much description? So you're kind of like, all right, get to the point already. Yeah, and I think maybe we we got to that point, like, in the first book. Yeah, but overall, I mean, I really love the series. I felt like the the third book was a perfect ending, or open ending, if you will, for the series altogether. And I really do look forward to reading her other books. Yeah, I agree. Um, I gave the ratings anywhere from three stars to three and three-quarter stars, just because... My mind could never grasp that they that this was like a reality. I, I still like have like trouble like forming words about it and like why I just I wanted to like dive in and absolutely love it and I just couldn't. Um, but I would recommend it because I feel like I've seen so many people like gush about it like on book talk and things like that. Um, and the the obviously the covers and everything are so beautiful, like you can't deny that you'd want to read them. Oh yeah, and like I said, I I was really happy overall with them. I would I don't know that I would read them again. I might read the last one again because I really did like it, but I would definitely say that you know anybody that hasn't read the series, give it a read. There's a lot of suspense. There's a lot of magic. There's a lot of um, like re- relationship building and there's kind of love stories throughout it. It's got a little bit of everything. Yeah. And it wasn't one of those books where you could guess what was going to happen next, which I do enjoy that when you, when you, you know, you don't, you can't like predict what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, even if you tried, it wasn't at all what you thought. <laughs> no, definitely not. But this, I do think that if they really do bring this to film, like this will be amazing on film. Oh, yeah, I'll definitely be signing up to watch that right away. All right, guys, well, that wraps up episode 23. If you liked what you heard, as always, please give us a rating on whatever podcast outlet you listen to and head over to our Instagram at our underscore weekends underscore booked. Again, I'm Kate. And I'm Brielle. Until next time.